I want to invite you today to listen with me to the words of Jesus. If you want to follow along in your own copy of the Bible, um, you can find this in Luke chapter 6. And Jesus is talking to a crowd in a message that came to be known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. He apparently gave this sermon a couple of times uh, in different settings. And I want to key in on just one particular section that begins in verse 37 of Luke 6. Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, therefore, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your neighbor's eyes. Over the past uh, couple of weeks, we have been in a conversation together on Sunday mornings around what Jesus does and says at the table of life. We've been looking at specific stories in the Gospels that describe Jesus going to somebody's table. And we've been paying attention to what he does and says in those places on the theory that maybe there we're going to gain some insight into how we can go about living even more creatively in the various table settings of our lives, at home, in the workplace, in our social circles, and beyond. And most of the time, what we've discovered at least so far, is that when Jesus is at the table with people, he's trying to present uh, and give them the gift of grace. He he pours out in one story at a wedding in Cana, he pours out 180 gallons of the finest wine. He, he, He pours out this incredible grace to people who had run out as a sign of his, the heart of God for people. In another setting, he goes to the table uh, in, a, in a, uh, a tax collector's house, a man named uh, Matthew. And, and at that table, he shows welcome and concern for all kinds of people that normal religious folks would have nothing to do with. And he says, God is for you. God is for you. And then in a third setting, as we discovered last week, Jesus goes uh, to be a guest at the table of Zacchaeus. And, and, he's, and he's meeting there a man who's lived a pretty um, corrupted life. 
uh, but who's ready to make a turn, who's ready to make a change. And Jesus uh, says to him, I'm with you in this. I'm less interested in your past than I am in your future. The crowd can't understand it, but Jesus is committed to helping Zacchaeus make the turn and live into his full potential. Jesus has that kind of heart for you and me at the table of our lives to meet us with the grace that we need. It is not always the case, however, that that's what Jesus serves up at the table. There are also instances where when Jesus comes at the table, he meets us not so much with the grace we need as with the truth we need, as with a sometimes hard, brutal, difficult to hear truth that we need in order to make progress in our lives. And I want to take you now to a story today in the Gospel of Luke, but a little further along, chapter 11, and invite you to listen uh, to this uh, narrative. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. Now, it's important to know that a Pharisee uh, was a person highly committed to religious practice. The Pharisees were really uh, committed to trying to uh, honor God's righteousness by living in very uh, religiously righteous ways themselves. They did rituals. They followed uh, all kinds of special regulations. They sought in every way to be able to, to stand before God one day and have him be very impressed by all of the commitments they checked off that showed how committed they were to his uh, cause. And one of those big commitments, a, a part of their life was a practice of ritual washing, they, they, they were constantly washing themselves, feet, hands, face, in order to, to, to signify their awareness that God was holy and they wanted to be more pure in his presence. And so Jesus is at the table with the Pharisee here. And the Pharisee notices Jesus isn't doing the ritual washing thing. And it upsets him. It says the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus, who's a rabbi, a religious man, did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You're really concerned about the fact that I've done nothing on the outside, but I'm telling you, I'm concerned about what's going on on the inside. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside, the outside of your body, make the inside also? But now, as for what's inside of you or what should be inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean, truly clean for you. You'll be clean in the right way. Woe to you, Pharisees, said Jesus, because you give God a tenth, a tithe of your produce but you neglect justice and the love of God. Uh, one of the experts in the law answered him, and there, obviously there were other guests at this particular dinner party, and this expert in the law says, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Because we're, we're, we're the group of people that actually researches all the things that we ought to be legally doing to impress God. You insult us. Jesus replies, and you, experts in the law, 
Woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. You pile on all these regulations and rules on people's lives, and there's, there's no mercy in you towards people. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who actually killed them. The Old Testament prophets came declaring the heart of God, what God was really looking for, and the ancient Israelites had murdered the prophets. The teachers of the law of that time murdered those prophets. Uh, Woe to you. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. In other words, at this table, I just have to name the truth, says Jesus. What you claim as as a big value for you, you don't actually live out on the inside. What you ask of other people, you don't actually do yourself. What God seeks of you, what he really seeks of you, you're far from. You've missed the point. This is the truth, the brutal truth that Jesus speaks to this particular dinner party. At a very busy traffic intersection, a, um, a light turns from, uh, from red to green. And there's a line of cars piled up at the intersection, and, and the first person in line doesn't notice the light change. Why? Why do you think they didn't notice the light change? Exactly. They are texting away, right? Well, seeing this, the, the person in line behind is just, it starts to fume. And he starts to actually to kind of pound on his steering wheel in frustration that this person is so clueless. And when the first driver doesn't move, the man behind him just starts to erupt in a rage. And as the light turns to yellow now, the man leans on his car horn and he leans out the window and he starts shouting these obscenities to this guy uh, who's failing to get out of the way. And and, and jolted finally by the commotion behind him, the first driver sort of startles, realizes what's going on, sets the phone aside, and then jams on the gas and races out into the intersection and beyond just as the light turns red again, leaving the other guy behind. The second guy is now apoplectic. He is in danger of an aneurysm. He is just ranting and raving And in the midst of this rave, he hears a rap on his car window and he turns around and there is a uniformed police officer. Get out of the car. Get out of the car, sir. And he gets out of the car and he is promptly arrested, handcuffed, taken down to the the local jail. Well, a couple of hours go by and somebody comes to his cell and unlocks it and issues him out and says, come on upstairs with me. And when he gets up to the booking desk, he's standing, the the arresting officer is standing there looking kind of sheepish, which is a bit confusing. And and the officer says, sir, I'm I'm really sorry for the mistake. He said, you see, I pulled up to your car behind you while you were blowing your horn and flipping off that driver and cussing a blue streak. And, and then I noticed the, the what would Jesus do bumper sticker <laughs> and the fish emblem on the trunk. And I thought, this is a stolen car. That guy stole this car. 
My theory is that, that kind of like that police officer uh, who made such an innocent mistake, there are people in this world who um, are confused by the way some of those who call themselves by the name of Jesus drive their way through life. I think that many ordinary people feel like it's sort of reasonable to expect that the people that wear the name of Jesus uh, would be expected to move along life's road um, the kind of way that Jesus moved through traffic, if if you think about it. Uh, The truth, of course, is lots of people do. Uh, You're probably one of those good examples, one of those people that others sort of go, now that's that's a follower of Jesus, I can tell, by the way they they do life. But what makes it hard for some people to think that Christianity really has truly life-transforming power in it is is that they encounter so many people who are essentially untransformed Christians. Uh, People who maybe act uh, uh, in ways they consider uh, righteousness, uh, mainly by ranting and raving over the sin in other people's lives instead of really dealing with the sin in their own lives. Uh, they, sometimes regular people meet uh, individuals who, who seem determined to rush at the speck in, in other people's eyes but are missing the plank, the protruding pathologies that are constantly spearing other people uh, with anger or judgmentalism uh, around them. I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that. I don't know if you've ever been somebody like that. Obviously, from the text that we read in Luke 6 that I began with, um, this behavior is of concern to Jesus. In fact, it's one of the big themes of his, of his teaching is, uh, is to challenge this kind of, of behavior. Uh, and Jesus says in this, in this text, you know, I'm not asking you to do more than, than, than I, I've actually done or that I'm willing to, to, to model for you. He says, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. In other words, if you're truly training in my company, if you're not just hanging around me, but if you're actually letting me disciple you, because the term disciple means trainee, literally means a trainee, um, if you're really um, submitting yourself to the training process of becoming like me, your coach, if you're spending time with me, I expect that increasingly you're going to move through life like your teacher would were he at the wheel. And to put it really bluntly, I think Jesus is saying, I expect your likeness to me to go much deeper than the sign on the bumper or the shine of the, of the paint job. My influence on you, if you're really my disciple, is going to be an inside-the-cab, under-the-hood reality that's going to change the way you live in this world. And then he goes on in Luke 6 and verse 43 to kind of give us an organic metaphor for this. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. In other words, people aren't going to come to you and to me looking for good fruit, looking for something that's going to help them in life, looking for for spiritual guidance. They're just not going to come looking for fruit 
if, if to get to it, it, they're gonna have to deal with somebody who's prickly and jabby and, and you know, just difficult and accusatory. As Jesus goes on and says, good people bring good things out of the good that gets stored up in their heart. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart for the mouth just speaks what the heart is actually full of. How many of you have ever heard the uh, expression, uh, who you are speaks so loudly I cannot hear what you are saying? This is what Jesus is really communicating here. Uh, and he's trying to say that our ambition has to, has to be to have the people around us feel like who you are speaks so loudly that I'm, I'm willing to listen to, to whatever you're saying. You know, I'm really interested in what you have to say because of, I, of who you are, because of what I see your heart to be. And this is why, even in the Old Testament, there's all this attention on us paying attention to the quality of our heart, not our external deeds so much as what's going on inside of us first. Uh, the writer of Proverbs famously says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It will be the character of that heart that will externalize in all kinds of way. And Jesus is basically, his whole ministry is about addressing our heart. It's not getting us to get us to go to church primarily. It's not trying to get us to, to do good deeds primarily. It's about addressing the condition of our heart so these other kinds of things naturally happen. It's just the overflow of a really good heart. I had an experience um, some years ago that provides a little bit of a metaphor for this, this process of transformation. Um, I had been driving in, in, a, in a car for a long time, an older car, and I finally uh, traded it in, and I traded it in for a four-year-old model that was gorgeous. I mean, sparkling. I could walk all around the outside of this. There, I couldn't find a ding on this, on this car. It was just beautiful. The upholstery was spotless. I, 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 it had a new car smell after four years. I, never, I didn't thought about that you have this spray that they can do that with. And it, but I, it was just, this was a brand new car. I can't believe it's, it's, it's four years old. And I thought, you know, I should, eat, I should, I should do the, the guy thing. I should look at the engine. So I you know, had them pop open the hood, and I, and I looked inside, and it was the inside of the, of the car. It was immaculate, too. I mean, I could hardly believe it had all these miles on it. It was so flawless. So I take it home, and I start to drive it, and as I'm driving, and I begin to notice there's kind of this kind of weird pinging sound, and sometimes it stutters, and I'm thinking, that's really weird. But the dealer that I got the car from is famous for its rapid service, its customer care. I bring the car in. I explain the situation. The mechanic says, well, let me take a drive with you, and he notices the noise and the behavior of the car as well. We go back into the shop, and he pops open the hood, and then he starts unfastening things, and then he lifts off what I only then realized was the dust cover on the actual engine. <laughs> Mr. Goodwrench, I'm not. And I see an engine in there that looks every bit its age, that has clearly had some mileage on it. Now, I, I tell you that story because the mechanic goes on to say, um, 
I see your problem. He says, there's a, there's a hose that's loose here. You see this? This hose has come loose. We need to get that reconnected. And, and he did it. And, and the sound went away. And the car began to, to behave beautifully. I think sometimes we pay too much attention to the paint job and the smell of the upholstery and the, and the dust covers of life. I think, I think we get locked into that sometimes, thinking about appearances too much. And, and, and we don't think enough about, is the, is the engine good? Is the engine of my life what it could be or should be? Um, Jesus describes for us in his teaching how our heart should work, how the engine should run, if, it is, if it's working in accordance with the, the designer, the dealer's specifications. And, and if you read through the gospel messages, you'll hear these themes again and again and again. He's describing what the engine working right sounds like. Um, he said that we would see ourselves as servants and stewards more than as masters and consumers. If you're my follower and I've got I've, I've been able to work on your heart. Less and less are you going to walk in thinking, how do I master this situation? You know, what's in it for me? And more and more you're thinking, how do, I, how do I work with these circumstances to steward it for God? And how do I bring a servant presence into this circle? That'll be one of the characteristics of a good heart. He told us that we will be way more concerned about asking ourselves, how can I be a good neighbor in this situation than with judging the neighborliness of other people. Um, we're just going to be so concerned about how do I bring value to this circumstance. He said that if our heart was good, we'd be willing to take up a cross at times to bring forth the best. We'd be the ones willing to make the sacrifice, to endure the discomfort, to do the hard thing, to bring uh, better things to other people, rather than running from sacrifice and always looking to our own comfort. Jesus said that if, we, uh, if our heart was good, we would be oriented towards uh, using the gifts we have for the purposes of God and less with hoarding or burying our gifts. He told us that we would generously forgive others rather than keeping tallies because we would realize how unbelievably, how, how huge a debt we'd been forgiven of. And we just lighten up on other people. <laughs> As a result of that, he said that having, uh, rather than having our engines constantly racing with anxiety and fear, we would face difficulties and we'd face even death itself with a, a higher sense of peace because we knew we were in God's hands and that he had even the power of resurrection at his disposal. And if you're interested you can find references to every one of those teaching streams in the notes for this sermon. They're in the Bible. I didn't make that stuff up. These are the ways that Jesus believes uh, a good heart will show, it, it show itself. So when our engine is running the way the dealer originally intended it or the designer intended it to run, the, these orientations will be thrumming in us like a fine-tuned V8 or like a premium electric motor, and we're going to move through this life differently than people who don't have this kind of heart. It will be with a grace and a power that's really beautiful and desirable. The question I have for all of us to ask this morning is, is that the way our heart is operating and when I was describing those orientations 
know, did you think, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me for sure. Um, is that the way our heart is operating? And if your answer is, well, sometimes I get that. I think life is hard on our heart. I, I, I think that, that life and its mileage takes a toll on the engine. The, 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 the sludge of pride or of anger starts to build up in us over time. Uh, or, or deceit or gluttony or sloth begin to clog the system. Or maybe lust or envy start to corrode the, the, the heart connections. And, and, and most of all, we take in so much tainted fuel in this world. I mean, the stuff that's constantly being pumped at us and that we soak in and we take into the engine uh, of our life, it's just, it, it's, 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 it's not helpful to the functioning of a good heart. Life seasons are harsh on our heart. Maybe you're experiencing what I did um, with that n- newer car. Maybe you're seeing the amber light go on on the dashboard someplace. Um, you're getting some telltale sign in your body. You're getting it in your relationships. You're getting some indication that something is not working. And the first instinct that we sometimes have when those amber lights go on in our life is to think, well, maybe I just tap on the dashboard and it'll go away. Or maybe if I just drive faster, it'll go away. Or, or maybe if I just ignore it. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe if I do nothing about it, it will go away. Or maybe I'll get to it one of these days. And it could be that you've been driving the way you have and are for a long time. And for that reason... You just don't notice the problem. Uh, as Amy could tell you, um, I've got a little some weird thing about my car engine right now, and I drive, I don't even hear it anymore. She gets into the car, she goes, what is that? You should take the car in, get that thing checked out. Uh, maybe that's you. Or maybe you're driving alongside so many other cars with a similar kind of function to you that you think, gosh, I guess I'm performing pretty well. It takes a lot of humility and a lot of courage to face the possibility or even the reality that your engine is stuttering, that it needs work. And the first step in making it better is to just admit the need. Just admit the need. In fact, expect that if you have enough mileage on you in life, you're going to have heart issues. It's just normal. The second step is to actually bring the engine into the shop for repair. When I look at Christ Church, and we've got a campus here, as you know, in Oak Brook and also in, at our, in Butterfield, uh, out in Lombard, I think of those campuses as shops for the, for the heart. I think of them as, as mechanic shops for the heart. Uh, we come in here to get our heart tuned up. We come in here to sort of check its rhythm against the rhythm of the heart of God and recalibrate it. We come to get our heart cleaned and lubed with the oil of God's grace. We, we come to, 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 to have somebody else check it out for us. It's not that we can't do a lot of maintenance for ourselves at home. We can and we should. But there are just some things about our heart condition that it's easier to fix or even to see uh, when we're in the company of other people people trying to look at their hearts. Um, Jesus said that, that one of the biggest challenges a lot of us have is that, is that 
what's wrong with us is what we're using to see. We've got this log or this plank in our eye, and it's blocking our self-awareness. Uh, we, we don't really even know what's going on with us. And we need a community of people, a small group of, of trusted people with whom we're doing life, uh, who can help us see what's wrong and to set us straight, or at least help us move towards setting it straight. And woe to us if we're like the Pharisee at the table or the teacher of the law, and, and we're blind to our defects, but highly vigilant about other people's defects. Woe, woe to you if that's kind of the way you're moving through life. Um, sometimes what we need is not a tune-up, but a whole new engine. Remember that guy at the intersection? That guy needed a new engine. Really. It's a traffic light. <laughs> to blow a gasket like that, you know, to compromise his own health, to go, the, to go south the way that he did, he just needed a new, a new heart. And sometimes we get to a place in our life where, where it's, our hearts have seized up. We're now such angry people or such anxious people or fearful people or selfish people that what we need is a, is a heart transplant in a sense, an engine replacement and, and, and to get that, we need to go back to the dealer himself and say, will you do that? Will you give me a new heart? Many years ago, uh, King David of Israel underwent a massive uh, breakdown. Uh, some of you may recall the story. He, he slept with his neighbor's wife. Um, he got her pregnant uh, to cover up what he had done. He arranged for the for the murder of the, of the neighbor's wife, uh, or of the neighbor himself, uh, the spouse of the wife that he had slept with. Um, and then he just went on with life, like there was no big issue. Wow. Wow. Until finally a prophet came to him, a man named Nathan, and told him a story that helped him see himself to get a fresh view of himself. And then Jesus was filled with this massive, rem or not Jesus, but David was filled with this massive remorse. And in Psalm 51, you can read this uh, for yourself. He, he just falls on his knees before God and basically says, I know I need a totally new heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Maybe you're in a place like that right now. You need not just a little fine-tuning. You need a replacement. Ask for a new engine today if you need one. Because God will be eager to help. So admit your need. Make sure you're coming in regularly to the shop for checkups and repair. Ask for a new engine if that's what's needed. And finally, make sure the hoses are connected securely. God made each of us in a way that his power flows fully and best through us when certain spiritual hoses or circuits are firmly in place. Maybe you've been driving so long so fast over such rugged ground that some of those hoses have gotten dislodged 
or maybe they never got really connected correctly in the first place. In the Christian life, we call those hoses by the term spiritual disciplines. Maybe you need to, to, to attach the spiritual discipline of rest in your life. That a lot of the problem going on with you right now is you just haven't given yourself the Sabbath rest that you need to be really healthy. You're blowing up at other people. You've lost the judgment that you need in certain situations. God is saying, would you just get some rest? Just connect up the rest hose. Uh, or, or maybe your need is for solitude. You're living in so much noise. You, you're just constantly being pinged by life from all these different channels. And what you need is, is the solitude and the silence to be able to even hear your own heart beat. And to remember you're a human being, not a human doing. And maybe to hear from God himself. Or maybe what you want to connect up is the, is the hose of, 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 of prayer or, or of studying the scriptures or of being part of a, of a small group of other believers. There are a lot of these time-tested spiritual practices. The staff of the church, other mature believers can help you with it if you just ask, hey, can you offer me some guidance on this? Here's the bottom line of what Jesus is saying to us, and I'm going to let you go. Here's the, here's the takeaway, the part that you should wake up your neighbor for if they've slipped away. Um, Jesus loves us enough to sit at the table with us and offer us not only his grace, but also his truth to give us not only the grace we need, but the tough love truth that we need. The first thing he challenges us to do is don't be a hypocrite. And that's a big theme of his teaching. You don't see him getting mad very often. He gets mad over this. Uh, in fact, by the way, there are only two times you see Jesus getting really angry at, and they're both time at a table. In this story, and then when he overturns the table of the money changers in the, in the temple. And, it, and both, what's the common theme? Hypocrisy in both cases. Um, he wants us to stop putting energy into being a moral traffic cop, a mechanic for other people. Uh, I should say, I mean, qualify that. He wants us to stop thinking about that first. He wants us to be examining our own hearts and our own lives first condition of our own heart, the things that are the sin that's afflicting us and compromising our character and our witness. And then secondly, I do think that when we sit at the table with other people, uh, he would have us learn to ask the, the challenging questions that help other people think about the condition of their own heart. And they're going to be much more likely to be able to hear those questions, by the way, if they've watched us first and foremost attending to ours. Um, and so that, so that whatever we say, they know it's not because we're hypocrites. Um, but invite people to help think about their lives and whether what they, what they do and what they say are matching up in the way that, that would be good for them and for the people around them. 
And I think that if you and I and the people that we live with and sit with get serious about caring for the health of our own heart first, there will come a day when, to paraphrase Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we're going to be able to say, both with integrity and joy, I may not be the person I should be. I may not be the person I want to be. I may not yet be the person I'm going to be. But thank God Almighty, this I know as I sit at this intersection. I'm no longer the person I once was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.